Hi folks, a shout out this week to Sharon Pask, who did a review of the Take On Board podcast. Thanks, Sharon. She says, gender pay gap episode, very informative session with Emma Ray. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon, for taking the time to do a review. We love to get reviews here. And thanks to Emma for doing that episode. Second announcement for this week. This week we're hearing from Kari Hatch. And listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking with Deborah Rosati about her journey to the boardroom and advancing board diversity. First, let me tell you about Deborah. Deborah is a valued corporate director, an accomplished business savvy entrepreneur, and a fellow chartered professional accountant with over 35 years of high growth and transformational leadership in the technology, consumer, retail, cannabis, life sciences, private equity, and venture capital industry sectors. Deborah currently serves on the board of directors of Tal Distributed Information Technologies, an enterprise blockchain transaction processor and Kieron Life Services, a global cannabis medicinal company. Deborah previously served as Vice Chair and Chair of the Audit Committee of Lift & Co. Deborah is also the founder and CEO of Women Get On Board, a 750-plus member-based social purpose company that connects, promotes and empowers women to corporate boards. Ah, Deborah, you're talking out language of the Take On Board community, so welcome to the Take On Board podcast. Well, thank you. Delighted to be here. So, Deborah, before we talk about your journey to the boardroom and advancing board diversity, let's dig a little bit deeper about you. Can you tell me a story about young Deborah that tells us a bit about how you got to where you are today? Great question. And thinking about young Deborah, young Deborah wanted to be a businessman just like her father. Mm-hmm. And that started at a young age, you know, when people say, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? I just knew intuitively I wanted to go into business. I didn't know what business was, but my dad was a businessman. He looked very important. He was very involved in the community and he went out to work every day and he looked pretty dashing. So I thought hmm, that looks like a good thing to do. So I really younger self was. And I think through that process of Uh, I was never really defined, hey, you're a girl, you can only do that. My dad was in the newspaper industry, so I started delivering newspapers when I was 10. I had a paper route. Then I would go into my dad's office and I used to do any odd jobs I could get on weekends. If it was entering trash cans, my best weekends were going into my dad's office with him. 
Oh, how adorable that it's not girl guides or going camping. It's like, no, can I come to work with you? <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? I, As a kid, I'm not sure if I would describe it as my best weekends ever, but I do remember as a kid, if I was unwell, going to work with either uh, my mother or father. And it was like this peek into this whole new world. So that was yeah. my young self, uh, not knowing really where it would go. And it really then from there, I took a business degree. I went to university mm-hmm. and through that, they had a co-op accounting program. So that allowed, I articled with an accounting firm and became a CPA. And then, you know, that to me was the base foundational piece for me as I mm-hmm. frontiered and journeyed along and into the governance aspect of my world. But really it was having that fundamental business background. Yeah, fantastic. So when you got your first business, I'm interested how your dad felt about that. Well, uh, my dad was a huge champion. It really started like this. When I was starting at university, Brock University in the Niagara region, they had just started a co-op accounting program. And as any universities, co-op programs are very based on having a placement with an employer. So Mm. we had just moved down to the Niagara region. And in order for me to get into Brock, I had the marks, et cetera. But they said, one condition, you need to get a job with an accounting firm. So my dad was very prominent in the community. He was the publisher of the Well and Evening Tribune. And I said, Dad, who do you know? And I had two interviews with two partners with two different firms. And I actually had two offers. I didn't know what accounting was. I just knew I had a placement. I knew I was going to take those part of my articling. So for me, it was just having champions, having supporters, having people that just believed in you to say, okay, open the door and you're going to have to prove yourself. But those doors were opened. And it's interesting, I heard in there that your dad was also quite involved in the community and it seems to be a bit of a common theme I hear from guests that community engagement and being involved in the community is something that lots of the parents of board members seem to have. So tell us a bit about what he was involved in. Well, I would say it was both my parents. So my mom and my dad, my mom, my, my mom went back to school in her late 30s to become a library technician after bringing us, you know, to teenage years. I think both of them were very involved in community. My Mm -hmm. mom through church and other philanthropic and my dad through community chamber of commerce, as an example, well in chamber, I think he ended up being the president of the region, et cetera, et cetera. So I just saw a lot of community initiatives. We got invited to go to opening events, ribbon cutting. I just remember a lot of that, of being in community and being part of that community and showing up. And it it made you feel good, right? That community Mm -hmm. contribution. Fantastic. All right. Well, then let's get on to further exploring your board journey. So we're talking about, you know, your journey to the boardroom today. Where did that journey begin? Well, it was happenstance, really. I don't think Mm -hmm. I said, hey, when I grow up, I want to be a serving corporate director. From university, I advanced as a controller in the technology sector to CFO and took a company from ground zero to exit, did multiple financings and had a board. It was a private company, but had a board that as CFO reported into. And through that process, when we sold the company, I was being courted to join some of the investment funds that had invested in us. So I went directly into venture capital, which was one of our investors uh, had invested in the company I was CFO of. And by virtue of going in there as a general partner, and it was an early stage technology uh, venture fund, 
I ended up serving on the portfolio company boards. And when I left venture capital, I would then just be asked by my community of people I knew in my network, do you want to join as an independent director? So I really started being an independent director for private company technology startups. And then it evolved into public and broadened out from technology. But it really started with my network and it started with my position. So it's interesting then, I think, though, as somebody who also champions diversity, I sometimes feel a bit conflicted about that because the networks often bring similar people and experience often brings similar people. But we also know that diversity in the boardroom is really key. How do you kind of approach that tension? Well, the reality is most of the boards, even today, I'm usually one of the only women, woman, Mm. or maybe one or two others, if I'm lucky. So through my career, it was, I would get calls and it would be as blunt as this. We need a woman on a board. So (laughs) you're like, okay, I'll check that box. And then usually it would be, oh, well, we need somebody to chair the audit committee. I'm like, okay, I could check that box. And then, Mm. oh, we want somebody that has operational technology. I could check. So there was a lot of box ticking, but I was okay with that. I wasn't offended because I thought to myself, they knew they needed to broaden the network. And then for me, I felt like when I was at the table, then I could have influence to say, hey, we should be thinking about more diverse candidates. And so Mm -hmm. I really took that as an opportunity when I stepped in to look and say, who else can I bring up? Who else can we consider? And then, you know, in 2015, when I launched and founded Women Get On Board with the mandate to connect, promote and empower women to corporate boards. So I end up being a champion for more diversity on boards. And I get a lot of calls and they're not for me specifically, but through my network, because they know that there's a network of women. In fact, I even had one today on a Sunday of all days, because I know how CEOs are so busy. So I look at it as saying, you know, I had doors open for me through Mm -hmm. most of my sponsors and the people I worked with were men (laughs) because I didn't necessarily have a network of women And so if I had doors open to me, I wanted to make sure that other doors were open for other women. So I'm hearing in there that you said yes. I'm wondering if there's ever a time you've said no and what happened there? Well, I've really had to say a lot more no's than yeses (laughs) these days. I'm on two public company boards, but I've had to say no to other opportunities, board opportunities that have come in because I just don't have capacity with running women get on Mm. board. So when I say no, and I wrote a blog that basically Mm. said, you know, exploring board opportunities, saying no, but saying no graciously. And so the no can be very much, well, thank you very much. I'm not interested and give the reason why I'm not interested today because I don't have capacity, but time may free up later. So a capacity issue or no, Mm. thank you very much. I'm not, interested in private company boards. My focus is around public companies in technology, in cannabis, in retail. So direct them to where you want to be. And the best part of the no is I'm not interested, but I have three other women. Your no is very, I don't want to say rehearsed, but prepared in the sense of people don't want just to know. They want to know Mm. why it's a no. So you give the why, but then you go, hey, you know, I'm not, but here are three other women. And I've seen it where I've reached out to other women and they've said no. And I've seen two categories of women. I've seen ones that just say no, 
and it's a no with no explanation. And then I've seen other women that say, no, but hey, I know these three Mm -hmm. other women. And I think if all of us can lean in and say, but I know these three other, then we're broadening it because it's, there are, as you know, the term overboarded, there are women and men that are serving on boards and is whether it's four or five. And I think in the UK, if you're on more than four public company boards, you'd be considered overboarded. So how are you cultivating that network? If you already have capacity, how are you ensuring that you can then offer up other names? And that's like, I, I know you would do that uncategorically because that's you're in the business yep. of. There's a term, you know, when you take the elevator up, you send it down for someone else to come up, right? Absolutely. You're right. It is in, almost instinctive, I guess, in some way with me. You know, you get on your board initially, you start to build it, you start to bring others with you, sending the elevator back down, bringing them up, opening the door, whichever analogy we want to use. And then you've got your organisation, Women Get On Board. Tell us about that and the work that you do. Well, interesting. I started doing presentations for conferences, for women in leadership conferences, and I actually started titling the slides, and this was probably 2008, 2009, Women Get On Board. And Mm -hmm. so I would be asked so often by a woman, hey, how did you get on a board? So I'd go for a coffee um, or I'd have a telephone conversation pre-Zoom or I'd go for a glass of wine or whatever. I always was happy to give back a one-to-one or conversation. And then it just really got bigger than myself. And I was at a stage in my career, I'd been serving on boards for almost 15 years and I just felt like it was time to do something bigger than a one-to-one coffee. So I decided to create Women Get On Board as a social purpose company with the mission to connect, promote, and empower women to corporate boards. And the goal of the company is quite simply one more woman on a board, one board at a time. Fantastic. I'm smiling, Riley, because that was exactly my thought process. It's like, what if I bring these women together? Wouldn't that be more powerful than just individually? Like I said, you are a woman after the own heart of the Take On Board community, or at least the Take On Board host. (laughs) Right back at you, right back. (laughs) Oh, how fantastic. I'm wondering as well then, saying yes to board opportunities, knowing what you want, saying no when you need to and then how to say no. I'm wondering as well about then you're on the board and I'm sure, you know, leaving aside all of the stuff that happens when you're on the board, what happens when you come to the end of your board term, whether that is formally or not? Tell us about kind of exit strategies, I guess, from boards. What, what are your thoughts there? Well, I would say in Canada, for sure, as a lot of public companies, there aren't terms. And that's another issue which we could have a whole debate on. There are not terms. And by not having terms, you're not having renewal. And by not having renewal, you're not creating diversity. So terms are a good thing. And I mean, if you look to the UK as a minimum, they say that if you've been on a board for more than nine years, your independence is impaired. For my own personal exit, I think the important thing you always have to assess, assuming there's no terms, and that's what I'll refer to right now, assuming there's no term on the board, are you contributing? Are you adding value? So that's a question you always have to be asking. Have you stepped up to take on leadership roles from a governance perspective? So you might start on a particular committee, but I always say before you leave a board or exit a board, make sure you're chairing either a committee 
or even the board or in, in my particular case, one of the boards that I'm on, I just joined December 2020. So it's just been over a year and I have been asked to be the lead director. I am also chairing the nominating corporate governance committee because I don't always want to be the person chairing the audit committee. <laughs> and so I think when you're looking at giving back or being part of your board services, you want to make sure that you go outside, you're taking on a different kind of committee than you normally would, uh, learning the business, initiatives come along, you know, you might be on a special committee because the company's going through M&A transaction. It could be that there's a special investigation going on. It could be that you're going through a CEO search. Get those, what I call those extra lean-ins opportunities to add value in a way beyond your regular corporate calendar and your mandates with respect to your committees. So mm. I have been on not-for-profits where there were terms and I, my exit was very much, I made sure I had a successor. I was chairing the audit and finance committee. I had a successor. So rather than taking on another three-year term, I exited gracefully because I knew I had a successor. And also mm -hmm. I was able to stay connected to that not-for-profit. They created an advisory board alumni council. So I was nice. able to stay connected. So you don't always, I find a lot of women sometimes like, oh, I can't leave that not-for-profit. Oh, it's so meaningful to my heart. And we all have causes, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to stay on the board to stay connected mm. to, to that not-for-profit. It's interesting, isn't it? My very first board was the YWCA Victoria, and we have an alumni of board directors. But it's interesting. Have you heard of private companies or corporates doing the same? Because it seems to me that it's a eminently sensible thing to do to keep the engagement of incredible talent. Have you heard of it happening in other sectors? I haven't, but I think it depends on the relationships that you build. So for me, yeah. I've been on boards where other board members that I've worked with saw me in a particular role and they said, hey, we're looking for someone over here. Would you consider? So that's another way to stay connected if those present themselves. Maybe, you know, you go, um, maybe there's an advisory board. So it's not mm. as formal. It could be informal. But no, I haven't heard of a board alumni Maybe in the corporate sector, it's just called your board network. Maybe they don't call it an alumni like not-for-profits do. But it's interesting. I think things the corporate sector can learn from the not-for-profit sector and vice versa. The other thing I heard in there, which I thought was interesting, is having a successor in the role. Do you see that as part of your role, so to speak, to bring on your own successor? And if so, how does that happen? Well, if you want things done, you sometimes have to take them in your own hands. For me, when the term came up, I knew they wanted to renew me and I thought my best way to exit was to have a successor. I think also if from a board, let's say a public company board or a private company board, if you know you're stepping down and you don't have term positions, but you know you're stepping out, mm -hmm. it's nice to be able to say, listen, I'm not going to renew. I don't want to stand for re-election, but I'll help you find someone. I think that, yes. um, or you know that you've created, you might've chaired a particular committee and you know that there's someone very yeah. able and capable to step in. And so you can kind of, position that and say, listen, I know I'm going to be stepping off, but I also think that Susan, for instance, mm, would yeah. be a great candidate. So you can champion your successor as well. On the boards that you've been on, because I'm thinking about committees, for example, let's say take the audit committee. 
some committees, some of the boards that I'm on, we have independent committee members who are not on the board, but they come in. And that's also a great way of digging around for additional talent for the board later. Is that common on the boards that you've been on and or is that common in, in Canada? Sometimes you could have them on a something mm -hmm. that's not a standing committee. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you may bring someone in if, let's say, you're an investor and you didn't have a seat at the table. Maybe you have observer status. That's another way mm. to have a look into the board. Um, typically, if, at least the world that I'm in is public company boards. You don't have these because of all fiduciary and liabilities yeah. and not. Yeah. But I do think, though, I've seen sometimes I've seen it where there's advisory councils or advisory boards and you have more of an informal relationship on an mm, advisory yes. and that as the company yeah. evolves then you might say hey we've built this relationship this might so I think sometimes that is a way where company can get to know you and you get to know the company and in, in yes. more an advisory uh, advisory board or advisory council role absolutely it's a great Try before you buy for both sides. So many fabulous tips and tricks here as we've heard about your journey and your experience. So I'm wondering, what are the main points you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today? Well, I talk to a lot of women, I'm sure much like you, that are interested in board service, board work. And I say, it's never too early. Mm. So where do you start? I think, you know, it might start, I would say, start with an organization that you're affiliated with, start with your alma mater, start with something you care about. Maybe you don't get on the board, maybe you're on a fundraising committee. There's a lot of great ways to start. And I also would say that, you know, you have to be mindful of your age and stage. And I can certainly say when I was younger and I was an executive and I had two young sons, I did not have time at that point in my career to be giving back to community. But mm. as time permitted, as I got, you know, you've got different stages and ages. So sometimes it may not be relevant or appropriate at a particular time, but then opportunity opens up and then you can say, yes, I have more time to do that. We have a long span of, of our careers personally and professionally. Um, and so I would also say that step outside your comfort zone. Don't be a one trick yeah. pony. You know, I've really been defined with my financial expertise. I always get the, oh, we want someone to chair the audit committee. And I don't mind necessarily as a starting point to go into a board, but I don't want that to be my ending point. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so always be learning up and learning new industries. Like I went into the cannabis industry in 2017. I did not, I didn't come from farm. I didn't come from CBG. I didn't come, I didn't have that depth of knowledge of the industry, but I had public company I had retail mm. I had financial expertise been through transactions and financings and so I really learned like I was asked to join the at the time I think it was the environmental health and safety committee mm -hmm. I, and I thought to myself what do I know about that I almost didn't want to be on it because I didn't feel like I had that expertise, but it was probably the best committee I could have gone on to learn about the industry. So sometimes going outside your comfort zone, I think is really key and always be learning up. I like challenges and, you know, learning new industries and learning new committee or different leadership roles within the board, yeah. um, having different yeah. experiences. Yeah, it is one of the real joys, I think, of board work is that you get to do things outside your own sector and learn new things about completely different areas like the cannabis industry or whatever it may be. And you can do it all at the same time. You know, you can do some 
Oh, yeah. All sorts of different industries together. I'm learning everything about blockchain right now. And, you know, and it's another emerging industry with a lot of changes, a lot of regulation, and it's not quite defined. And so, and I think you have to know thyself. When you talked about earlier about that alignment, Mm, I'm not saying I'm a risk seeker, but I probably do go into industries where I know they're emerging and being an entrepreneur, you will get there and having the foundational pieces from a good governance and experience like that, I think are value for companies that are emerging. Absolutely. Oh, Um, is there a resource you would like to recommend for the Take On Board community? Well, I have two eBooks. One is how to get yourself on a board and that really talks about everything from how to position yourself from your board profile, your value proposition to networking your way onto a board to preparing for an interview. And then my second ebook is elevating your board effectiveness. And that's about when you're in the boardroom, how do you find your voice and using softer skills like your emotional intelligence. And mm-hmm. a lot of that just came from learning, but making sure you find that voice. So they can be found at womengetonboard.ca and mm-hmm. uh, there's a link for ebooks. Fantastic. Well, I'll make sure there is a link in the show notes so the Take On Board community can find them very easily because, like I say, you're a woman after our heart, so I have no doubt the words of wisdom in there are going to be of huge value to our community. Oh, Deborah, thank you so much. I know it's a Sunday night for you. It's Monday morning for me, first day back for 2022. So thank you so much for taking the time on your weekend to take the call earlier from somebody who's looking for board roles and suggesting people and taking the time to share your incredible wisdom and experience with the Take On Board community today. Well, thank you and happy 2022. Hi there, it's Helia. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group, where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation.